Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. This episode is going to discuss instrument design. Now, instrument design is an important skill for a clinician to develop. Clinicians who have a solid understanding of the principles of design and the classifications of those design principles will be able to easily select the correct instrument for the appropriate task in the clinical setting. In this episode, we will review the design features of the handle, the shank, and the working ends of the instrument to help increase your familiarity with those specific features and appropriate instruments that are used for particular tasks in the clinical setting. Starting with the handle of the instrument, you might notice that there's a lot of variation of design features as it relates to the handle. And this can be explained by whoever is manufacturing the instrument or the company that's produced the handle may have their own unique look or specific design feature. But I will say that ergonomically designed handles are a lot uh, thicker and have different traits to them. They've become the preference uh, as the research has created a lot of uh, strong connection between carpal tunnel syndrome and forceful pinching motions that are made during the instrumentation process and how that relates to that size of the handle. So the ergonomically designed handles are larger in diameter, they're round, and they're also hollow. They have raised textures for gripping for the fingers. And you'll notice that the handles taper uh, near the shank. And we'll talk about the shank next. Having a handle that is at least about 10 millimeters around uh, provides less opportunity for that pinching force. And the weight and the diameter of the handle has a lot of um, contributing factors on that pinch form and the hand muscle load when clinicians are performing the instrumentation that is required on their patients. The shank of the instrument is that part of the instrument that extends from that handle to the working end or the blade. And there are two types of shank designs that you have to be familiar with. There's a simple, also known as a straight shank, which has a bend only in one plane, which is front to back. An example of a simple or straight shank would be the Gracie 1-2. And then the other shank design is a complex or angled shank design. And on that design, there's a bend in two different planes. So there's a bend front to back, and there's also a bend from the side to side. And a good example of this design could be seen in your Gracie 1314. Another design feature that's related to the shank of the instrument is the strength of the shank. And it's important to have a good distinction of this. The strength of the shank is determined by the type of metal that is used to actually create the shank, as well as the diameter of that shank. And that helps determine the strength of the shank. And we divide those um, designs into two different categories. You can have a rigid shank 
or a flexible shank. And a rigid shank is designed to remove heavy calculus and it can really withstand a lot of pressure that's needed for that task. A flexible shank is uh, designed to remove light to moderate calculus. And a flexible shank can be used to remove heavy deposits as well, but you will have some flex to the metal when you apply the amount of pressure that's required to actually remove that calculus. Many clinicians prefer the flexible shank design because of the level of tactile sensitivity that's available with the use of one. Consider uh, the difference between having a rigid hiking boot on walking down a rocky trail versus having a light flexible uh, sandal. You would feel a lot more of the variations on that rocky trail wearing the sandals due to the flexibility of the sole. And a lot of that similar feature can be translated in a rigid instrument versus a flexible shank instrument. There's just a little increased amount of vibration and tactile sensitivity that's available with the flexible shank on an instrument. Now the functional and terminal shank extends from the junction of the instrument handle to just below the working end of the blade, as we said. Looking specifically at the design features, an instrument with a shorter functional shank are usually used only on the crowns of the teeth. Instruments that have longer functional shanks are used on both the crowns and the roots of the teeth. So the longer the functional shank, the more apt it is to be designed to go subgingivally, but there's other things that you need to look at. The longer functional shank does provide access and adaptability around the teeth to access those areas that we need to gain uh, access to. The area of the functional shank that's closest to the working end is called the lower shank, also known as the terminal shank. And that area of the shank provides the clinician on the correct working end of the instrument so that they're able to properly adapt the blade against the tooth. And a general rule for that lower shank or terminal shank is that it should be parallel to the tooth surface or root surface that is being instrumented. And there are specific instruments and periodontal instruments who have additional three millimeters of length to their lower shank in order to increase the periodontal involved patient access and reach those root concavities adequately. Now, here's another piece of information when we're talking about instrument design. There are instruments that are single-ended and there are instruments that are double-ended. Periodontal probes and mirrors are a great example of an instrument that can typically be single-ended. Curettes are typically an example of a double-ended instrument. And now some double-ended instruments have what's called paired working ends. And so each end is a mirror of one another on each end of the instrument. There are some double-ended instruments that have what is called unpaired working ends. And a great example of this would be an instrument that has a probe on one end and an explorer on the other as a combination. Most important, to know is that instruments are named by the design and the number is based on the working end. The design name is often noted from whomever created the instrument or the originator of the instrument. And then the number that's on the handle is noted as the specific working end that's on that instrument. 
and the design name and number can be found written in the center of the handle of each instrument. Now the design of the working end helps us understand the specific instrument's function. The aspects, now we're gonna talk about the working end. The aspects that make up the parts of that working end are the face, the back, the lateral surface, and the cutting edge or cutting edges depending on the instrument. So some instruments, you're only gonna use one cutting edge. You're gonna use the lower cutting edge. And a cross-sectional view is really helpful to understand these cutting edges and where they're used. When you do a cross-sectional view of the working end, it provides you with the information on whether or not the instrument is designed to be used subgingively or supergingively. Now, working ends with a triangular cross-sectional view that does not have a rounded back are designed for supergingival calculus only. Instruments with a cross-sectional design that are semicircular in nature have that rounded back on the cross-sectional view. When they have a rounded back, they can be used subgingively. Now think about how that can be applied to real-world thinking. If you have a rounded back to the instrument, you're able to go subgingively without hurting the gingiva. Whereas if you have a tapered back where it goes down to a point, right, that triangular cross-sectional view, you would do tissue damage if you used that instrument in a subgingival location. I hope that makes sense to you. Looking at a bird's eye view of the face of the instrument can really help when you are trying to make the determination of the instrument type that you're looking at as well. The cutting edge of a curette meets to form a rounded toe. So when you're looking at the face and you come down to the very tip of the instrument, a rounded toe is an indication of an instrument design feature that is used on a curette subgingively. The cutting edge of a sickle scaler meets to form a pointed toe called a tip, and that is typically a design feature of an instrument that is used supergingively. And instruments are broken up into two different categories based on the design characteristics of those working ends. There's non-surgical assessment instruments, such as your periodontal probes and explorers, and then there's calculus removal instruments, such as your curettes and sickle scalers. So you're gonna start by figuring out if you have a familiar instrument you'll know, um, but if you have an unfamiliar instrument that you don't know, first try to make the determination of what category it fits in, and then you're gonna look at these specific design features to get a really good understanding as to how this instrument was designed to be used in the mouth. Now, it's not uncommon for a dental hygienist to become really comfortable and prefer specific instruments after they've become familiar with its use in the clinical setting. As you develop your understanding of instrument design and you develop your skills as a clinician, be sure to keep your mind open to the development of new technologies and design features. Much has changed in the area of instrument design over the course of time. A popular quote that I'd like to share with you is that a mind is like a parachute. It only works best when it's open. I encourage you to remain adaptable and open-minded as new trends, 
technology, and design enhancements continue to come our way. We are always growing, and for that I am grateful. I wrote this story to help you be less stressed when you're learning about instrumentation basics and instrument design in the clinical setting. When your day starts off with your fulcrum on the wrong thoughts and you just can't grasp how you will make it another day, take a deep breath to help pivot your thinking in a new direction. By doing this, you will be able to adapt to your situation. Your mind will end up in a better position. Use the light as your guide. As a result, there will be less trauma in your day. Lighten up your grasp, be less tight, and for goodness sake, sit up straight. Please repeat if needed. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about personal protective equipment, also known as PPE. It is used to protect us from injury and infection in the dental setting. We will review some of the basics of the PPE that is commonly used in the dental office with a primary focus on gowns, masks, eyewear, and gloves. We'll also talk about some of the basic guidelines for each of those items and best practice. This is to help ensure clinical safety as well as patient safety in the clinical setting. I hope you join me. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.